Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. And welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have plenty to do, ladies and gentlemen. It's looking a bit grim out there today. Uh, the blue sky has disappeared for the moment, uh, but perhaps it will return uh, as this show goes through the gears and as we get from 10 and to 11 uh, to 12 and then to 1 o'clock, of course, as well. We've got lots to do this morning. Ben Habib is going to join us, former MEP, chairman, of course, of Brexit Watch. We'll be talking about Brexit. We'll be talking about uh, the migrant problem. We'll be talking an awful lot about the Albanian migrant problem because we've got some incredible footage from last night uh, right here in the centre of London uh, where an awful lot of Albanians were out and about in very expensive cars celebrating Albanian Independence Day, apparently. Uh, They were holding up the traffic. uh, They were honking their horns. The police were out in force doing absolutely nothing about it, of course. Uh, And people who are on the side of, uh, shall we say, unfettered migration are all going, what's wrong with it? They're all having a good time. Isn't it nice to see people having a good time? Well, I'll show you the video in a little while and you can make up your own minds as to whether or not this is something uh, that you would like to see on a regular basis. Perhaps we could celebrate, you know, everybody's Independence Day around about midnight in Parliament Square every single night. You know, you could have 365 days a year of it. But I don't really think most sensible people would say that that is the way to proceed. We'll be talking as well about the NHS, of course, because an awful lot of stories more troubling than yesterday, particularly one in the Telegraph this morning, in which it says that an awful lot of people are going to be going after compensation from the NHS because their surgeries or their procedures were put off because of COVID. Uh, £1.3 billion is the compensation part. And that, of course, ladies and gentlemen, is our money. We'll also be talking about the national grid and why it is necessary for them to say uh, that they might have to switch off electricity to certain homes at certain times. They're offering incentives for people to switch off their electricity or to turn it down a bit uh, during peak times. Now, they were supposed to be launching it today. They decided not to launch it, but still, it is something that is in the back of their minds. And I've just got one question for you, as many people have got. If there is going to be a shortage of electricity in this country, why are all the Christmas lights up? Somebody's going to tell me, oh, it doesn't take much electricity to drive a Christmas lights. Well, you might say that, but it takes some, doesn't it? After all, we should be told. Also, we'll be talking, of course, to Laura Dodsworth. She's going to be talking uh, about the harms bill. Uh, that is also a big piece of news this morning. Uh, she's going to, uh, the big tech are going to remove legal but harmful content. 
uh, but maybe they're not. We'll find out from Laura what that's all about. Gavin Mortimer is here as well, and Rob Clark, because China's back in the news. Rishi Sunak made a speech last night uh, saying the golden era uh, of relations, good relations between Britain and China, is now officially over. That, you might remember, was a phrase used by David Cameron when he reached out to China on the basis that they were better inside the tent than out. Well, surely the experience with Russia would suggest that pulling them outside the tent isn't the greatest of ideas. We'll find out. Plus, we want your calls as well, of course. 0344 499 1000. Let's not forget the World Cup. Mark Saggers is here. Uh, He's going to be sitting in with us, telling us all about uh, what's going to happen tonight when England take on Wales or Wales take on England. Um, I said rather tongue-in-cheek that I thought Wales would win. Uh, They might well do. We'll be going out to Doha as well. Uh, Holly Hudson's there. And Jim White from TalkSport will also talk us through uh, what he thinks is going to happen later on. And, of course, we've got more breaking news on Gary Lineker. Uh, He's being called racist by the Qataris. Uh, They say he's been very, very nasty about Qatar when he's been reporting for the BBC. Uh, And, in fact, he didn't bother actually going to talk to them like a proper journalist would have done uh, in order to find out what they thought about what he was about to say about them. And also, it turns out, he actually took some money from the Qatari regime after they won the bid for the World Cup. £1.6 million, to be precise. Brilliant. Great old life, isn't it, for Gary, captain of the hypocrites. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest, fastest show you've ever seen. This is Talk TV. Welcome and a very good morning to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's hard to get away from the Albanian story. Let's say a very good morning to Ben Habib uh, and find out what he makes of it all. Ben, a very good morning. Good morning, Mike. I see that the BBC have noticed that you might be quite a useful commentator to have on Question Time. So well, well done for, for getting on there. Uh, they seem to be sort of slightly changing their policy, actually having some sensible people on it for a change to say some sensible things. Well, that's very kind of you. I enjoyed my time. I thought Fiona Bruce was fantastic. I know she gets a lot of flack from various different directions, but, um, you know, I thought she was very balanced and gave everyone an opportunity to speak. And, you know, I thought I made, you know, the point for effectively for Brexit, lower regulations, lower taxes and making it, you know, pay to work, which seems an unfashionable concept at the moment. Doesn't it just? (laughs) As as indeed uh, seems to be unfashionable, particularly in London. But I say London deliberately because outside of London, I think people have a very different attitude. But incredible stats here uh, from asylum applications of refugees from Albania this morning. Harry Cole from The Sun put this out. UK accepts a whopping 55.4% of Albanian asylum applications. With the same number of applications, France takes 2.3%, Italy 19.9%, Spain 4%, Belgium 3%, Greece 0.3%, Germany, Sweden, Holland and Austria 0 So what is going on in Britain that we take 55.4% of Albanian asylum applications? Well, you know, what's really interesting about the numbers you've just uh, reeled off, Mike, is that these people are clearly settling in the UK, aren't they? Mm. This, the Schengen zone has enabled people from Albania to, once they've entered uh, you know, the European Union, to rapidly come across to our shores. And it says a couple of things. It says, one, they've got no border control. Well, we know that. Two, that they're aiding and abetting and promoting these people to come across to the United Kingdom. And three, and this is the important thing from our perspective, is that we are a very attractive country for them to come to. Mm. And they believe they can get here and stay here. Um, and that's what the stats indicate. Because they and can. No getting away, because they can. And, 
it, it's a complete breakdown in governance. It's got nothing to do with the European Court of Human Rights. It's got nothing to do with international treaty commitments or international laws or indeed domestic laws, Mike. This is a complete breakdown in governance by our own institutions. Border force isn't working. Um, we've got to stop these people coming across into our territorial waters at the point of entry. If we're going to do any kind of bilateral agreement with France, it should be this, that we, British boats, have the right to patrol French waters. We should have the right for border force to actually now go into French waters and prevent these people from even getting anywhere near our territorial waters. That's the kind of approach we should be having. Not a bilateral agreement where we pay them £62 million this year, another £72 million next year, and they do nothing. We've got to take control back into British hands. That was the whole point about taking back control of our borders. It wasn't to design elaborate, expensive, convoluted, unworkable deportation mm. schemes. It was to ensure that people never enter the UK illegally in the first place. Yeah. And that's where the concentration of government needs to be. Suella Braverman needs to stop thinking about domestic law, which takes ages to deliver. Uh, you know, ch ch changes in domestic law take ages to deliver. And with this broken conservative government, the chances of actually delivering any new legislation, which might be remotely controversial, is close to nil. Mm. No, she's got all the armament she needs from a legal perspective. She needs to just make sure border force does their job. And I just want to say one more thing before I finish. Mm. Before people say before detractors say, well, border force have to rescue these people because they made this perilous journey into the, into the channel. They can't be left to suffer in the channel at risk of losing their lives. Well, remember, these people paid £3,000 willfully to make that illegal journey. It's up to them to take responsibility for their own safety. And under international law, we are not obliged to give them uh, a safe passage to the UK. Under uh, UNCLOS, which is the UN Convention of the Law of the Seas, Article 98, we are only obliged to rescue them if it's reasonable to do so. Yes. And I would argue that it is entirely unreasonable for British border force to be rescuing people who are literally trying to enter the country illegally. Mm. They've got to send them back. And if they choose to jump out of their dinghies and self-harm, well, that's their problem. Mm. It's not a British-made problem. It's a French-made problem, and we need to push these people back to yeah. France. No, it seems as though at every point, the uh, rather like the police in London being outwitted by Just Stop Oil every single time they decide to do anything, you know, these asylum seekers and the gang masters who are bringing them here, because let's face it, that's what they are, the criminal gangs, are outsmarting border force and outsmarting the Home Office. But let me show you this video, Ben. I don't know whether you've seen this from last night. This was in uh, yeah. Westminster, um, around Parliament Square, um, a group of people uh, celebrating Albanian Independence Day. Now, this apparently went on for some hours. The police were, were there trying to move these cars on. But just have a look at the cars, apart from anything else. There's a lot of Albanian flags. Nothing wrong with that. Two women in Albanian national dress. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of it specifically. But it just shows you. Um, there's somebody doing sort of, you know, wheelies, which I'm pretty sure if I did, I'd be arrested for. Um, burning rubber on the streets of London. I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, I don't think there's one car in this little cavalcade of, uh, of traffic worth less than £100,000. I mean, if these are the people who are coming desperately from Albania to seek refuge, um, they're doing all right, aren't they? Well, they've come across as economic migrants and they've done terribly well. But that last night, I don't think, was a celebration of Albanian independence. Last night, 
was a show of force to Parliament about Albanians present in the United Kingdom. They know that their uh, arrival in this country across the channel illegally is now coming under scrutiny. And that was their pushback. Mm. That was them actually giving um, Parliament their proverbial middle finger. That's how I see it. Yeah. I don't know how you see it, Mike, but that was no one's no one's ever celebrated Albanian independence before. This I don't remember it ever being done, um, you know, up, up until so far this year. Do you? No, and it's, well, I don't recall it being a British colony either. Why would they be celebrating it here? Mm. Well, I mean, that's the thing. But of course, the reaction on social media has been uh, interesting, to say the least. You know, those who favour unfettered migration say, oh, isn't it nice to see some young people out enjoying themselves? Well, that's one way of looking at it. Um, other people are going, what on earth is going on? And, and people are saying, well, 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 do you get upset when people celebrate Diwali or, or do you get upset when people celebrate Eid? Well, no, because that's not what's going on here. There is, as you say, some kind of show of force going on. Yeah, we're here. Uh, good luck trying to get rid of us. What are you going to do about it? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing and that that was one clip. And perhaps that's less of a an outrageous clip than the many clips which I've seen on Twitter and other places which go unreported on by mainstream media of violence across London of, you know, I, I don't know where these ethnic minorities come from, but lots of ethnic minorities actually challenging the police, throwing bottles at them, the police having to, uh, you know, escape at high speed in their vehicles, not challenging these people in the end, trying to do it, but then being overwhelmed. We saw that big riot in Leicester between Pakistanis and Indians over a cricket match. Mm. I mean, what is going on in the United Kingdom? Is this where we want the country to go? Do we want the country to effectively import values and, uh, and behavior, which is you know, damaging to the fabric of our country? What are we up to? Mm. And these are the same people who say we shouldn't go to Qatar uh, and let uh, and, and make them sort of somehow bend to our will. That Qataris should be able to live the life that they want to live. We shouldn't be interfering with their government and their rules. Well, really? Well, I mean, we're completely at sixes and sevens over Qatar, aren't we? We've mm. had billions and billions of pounds invested in London. We never blinked from the Qataris. Sadiq Khan has now found his moral compass and he's banned advertising from Qataris in the tube. As a result, the Qataris have said they're not going to invest another penny in in London, we've got Gary Lineker mouthing off now in Qatar, having taken £1.6 million. I mean, it's all over the place. Mm. And we've got the same kind of problem with Rishi Sunak in China. I know you're going to talk about yeah. China later. But he talks about robust pragmatism. I mean, either you see China as a geopolitical threat, in which case you've got to challenge it on all fronts, particularly economically, or you don't, in which case you can engage with it. But that you can't have robust pragmatism. Robust pragmatism for me is, you know, political speak for, well, we, we recognize China's a threat, but we haven't got the political will to do anything about it. We rely too much on trade with China, so we're just going to let this thing slip. That's what Rishi Sunak is saying, effectively, in that one phrase. Yeah, exactly right. Ben, stay where you are. We're going to come back to you. We're going to talk some more about China. We'll talk some more as well, of course, um, about what is going on uh, inside the government uh, as we watch it, kind of doing not very much of anything at all, it seems to me. Christmas is coming. Uh, the goose is not getting fat at all. Uh, in fact, it's not even getting out. Uh, this is Talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots of people very happy uh, that we're talking to Ben Habib this morning because he's talking an awful lot of sense about a great many things, including, of course, uh, what's going wrong at the Home Office. I mean, Suella Braverman it seems to have become slightly denuded since she first got the job as Home Secretary. Um, ben, what I would say about Suella Braverman is when she came in, everybody was saying, well, here's somebody who knows the business of law. Here's somebody who worked as a, law, um, a lawyer in the Home Office, knows how to get around uh, the various sort of lefty back barristers who keep pre preventing uh, the deportations of people. I was listening to a lawyer this morning who said about 10 years ago, we were deporting something like 30,000 people a year. Now it's barely a few hundred. Yeah, I mean, you know, our system has just become locked in inactivity and inability to function. And there's an obsession with politicians nowadays to change the law. Every time there's a problem, they need to pass a new law. Mm. Often we have all the levers we need to deal with the problem anyway. It's just a matter of using the levers. And I think they use the passage of legislation as an excuse effectively to do nothing because they keep, you know, they keep uh, distracting us from the reality. They keep saying, well, look, we're going to introduce this new law, which will make it Im immediately possible to do X, Y and Z. And that will take a year. And another year goes by and nothing's happened. Um, you know, we had this with the Rwanda plan. The Rwanda plan perhaps is one of the best examples of it. Um, you know, they come up with a plan, they spend lots of money on it, lots of fanfare. It doesn't bear that much scrutiny because you know that it's fraught with difficulties. Mm. It's very expensive, unlikely to be implemented. But it kept everyone distracted at a cost of £140 million for the British taxpayer. It kept us distracted for six months. You don't hear anyone talking about Rwanda anymore. We now talk about new legislation that they want to put in place, which they hitherto haven't got. But I can, I can inform Suella that actually under the new Nationality and Borders Act, we already have the right to summarily send back anyone who's entered the country from a safe country. We already have that mm. right. It was put into place under the Nationality and Borders Bill, which is now the Act. And she, she should use it. And she should use border force properly. You know, it's not a matter of passing new law. It's a matter of using the system that we've already got to, you know, protect the United Kingdom. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, here's a, 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 a plan for them. You know, if you do actually do some kind of a deal with individual countries um, because you're outside of the European Union, but those deals are actually worse than the ones that are inside the European Union, um, then clearly it's got nothing to do necessarily with taking back control of your borders. Because actually, if anything, um, some of the countries in Europe are doing better at stopping migrants than we are. Well, they're not stopping in those countries. It says a lot about those countries that they travel straight through them yeah. using the Schengen zone to the United Kingdom. I mean, we must be the most attractive country in well, Europe. Well, we are. That's so the point. for Remainers. You know, Remainers keep saying the UK's uh, inward-looking, racist, misogynistic, yes. awful oh, yeah. country in which to live. But all these people want to come here. But, but doesn't that tell you confidence. then? But doesn't that tell you something about how to stop it happening? You make it less attractive. You don't make it quite make it so less. nice to come here. You don't make it so easy for them uh, to come here and get a house or to get uh, funding, uh, you know, or, or anything. Seven million pounds a day we're spending on accommodation. On top of that, we give them right to free healthcare, free dentistry, and we put cash in their pockets. You know, the cost of the exchequer is about five billion a year, mm. in my estimate on the current numbers. And of course, that's rising. And we've got a cost of living crisis. We've got an NHS that can't cope. We've had, by the way, this is relevant to this. In the last 12 years of Tory government, the population of the United Kingdom has gone up by four and a half million 
people. When we left the EU, we gave settled status to six and a half million EU member state citizens. Last year, we took in 504,000 net um, new immigrants into the United Kingdom. Our country is collapsing under the weight of people coming in. And our GDP is not growing. Our taxes are going up. Our borrowings are already higher than the, the government can tolerate. I, I, people need to realize that we are creaking. At, we're creaking yeah. at the seams and under, under, underpaying it. We're breaking. Oh, we totally are. And even the CBI has admitted last week at their conference that actually you don't get growth by importing labour, particularly cheap labour. It doesn't work because you've got to offer the services to those people who you invite in to work for very small amounts of money. So they're not paying very much tax. So actually, it's a kind of a net um, minus growth because you're effectively paying more money to look after them than they're actually giving you back in tax. Yeah, what seems to be lost on, on the government and a lot of large corporations who sustain themselves through this cheap labour is that we're a first world country, but we operate like a third world country wanting to use cheap labour as a mechanism to promote economic growth. It ain't going to happen. If you want to have a strong currency, you want to be part of the first world, you've got to upskill existing workforces. You've got to automate. You've got to increase productivity. We've got a huge problem with productivity in the UK. And that's because we keep relying on cheap labor. Mm. We've had this open door immigration policy, which has sapped us of the ability to generate productivity. And without productivity, we won't get growth. And that's the problem. The government just doesn't get it. No, it it doesn't have any joined up thinking. You know, it needs to look five, 10 years hence, decide what is industrial labor taxation policy is going to be and then set a plan and stick with it mm. and go for growth. Upskill, we've got 5.7 million people claiming universal credit to greater or lesser extent. Yes. That's nearly twice what it was before lockdowns. You know, this cannot go on. The country is going to break. And as mm. I said the other day on that program you mentioned at the beginning of this program, um, you know, it's possible now on universal credit to earn pretty close to what you would get on the national average wage. Mm. So there's no incentive to go out to work. Why would people go to work if they can sit at home and get pretty much the same amount of money? The the, the economy is breaking under the burden of 12 years of Tory misgovernance, and it's got to change Mm. in every sphere. And all these spheres, sorry, I'm kind of ranting. No, it's good, good. All these spheres are related. You know, migration, NHS, economic pressures, debt burden, high taxes, they're all interrelated. They don't stand individually as separate boxes which need separate, uh, you know, to be addressed separately. You need a holistic Mm. approach to all of them to make sure the UK can stand up on its own two feet. The people in the UK can stand up on their own two feet, get a job, earn proper money, not be ripped off by the tax man, have aspiration, go forward with confidence you know, that's what creates a dynamic economy, not this kind of redistribution of wealth mm. that the government is fixated on. Yeah. Well, redistribution of wealth to the point where everybody's a lot poorer. It's a very odd way to do it. Ben, thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib talking an awful lot of sense, former MEP, chairman, of course, with Brexit Watch. He's right, isn't he? The country's going to the dogs. We've had three prime ministers. And we've had God knows how many home secretaries. We've got unbridled immigration. Nobody knows when they can see a doctor. It is a shambles, ladies and gentlemen. Let's fix it, shall we? This is Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots going on today and many, many people to talk to, including lots of you. Uh, do keep your calls coming in, of course, 0344 499 1000. Ben Habib talks so much sense and in an authoritative way, says Pam. He needs to start a party alongside other similarly minded people. And soon the Tories really would be toast. Um, and here's one from uh, somebody who doesn't give a name. As the football is on at the moment, and you mentioned Gary Lineker as captain of the hypocrites, I thought for the duration of the World Cup, he could feature on Plank of the Week, the hypocrites 11. Uh, well, I think we certainly could do that. And Christopher in Leeds says, I hear what you're saying about immigration. Do you realise the government aren't listening? Talk privately to a Conservative MP and they don't care. Well, that's a bit disturbing, isn't it? Uh, we showed you a video earlier uh, of uh, people in the centre of London last night in very, very expensive cars celebrating Albanian Independence Day. Uh, this is after we've heard that Britain is alone in accepting more than 50% of the asylum applications from people coming from Albania, where most of the countries in the European Union either accept none uh, or a very, very tiny percentage, less than five in most cases. So we alone seem to be very welcoming to Albanian refugees. We don't know why they come here. They're not fleeing a war zone. They're part of NATO. They're a country that uh, is indeed a trading partner with uh, the rest of Europe. And it's soon to be a member of the European Union probably as well. So it's all very confusing. But as you heard from Ben Habib there, We've got a lot more people living here now than we had uh, before. Like ten in 10 years, we've gone up by possibly 5 million, maybe more. Uh, it's putting an awful lot of pressure on the NHS, an awful lot of pressure on everything, on roads, on schools, on infrastructure. Let's talk now to Lucy Johnson, Health and Social Affairs Editor uh, at the Sunday Express, because an amazing story, and there's been several amazing stories about the NHS, but one which has caught our eye this morning, uh, the NHS has created a 1.3 billion compensation pot for claims made by people who should have had operations or who have become more unhealthy as a result of the COVID restrictions. Lucy, very good morning to you. Good morning. Yes, good to see you. Yeah, good to so see this you. This is uh, really, uh, yeah, uh, we've got a lot of excess deaths uh, now. We have, they've been running higher, higher than, uh, uh, or as high as pandemic levels of mm. excess deaths, but they're not COVID related, most of them, uh, only a small percentage of them are COVID related. Um, it was something many people warned about. Mm. I think you were probably one of them for a long time. If you tell people to stay at home, if you effectively cut down uh, non uh, COVID work, then this is uh, one of the legacies. Mm. And uh, I'm afraid we're seeing the consequences. So the numbers are running um, something like in, in a month, uh, one week in October, uh, 16, over 16% above the five year average of excess deaths. That's about, it was about 1,500 excess deaths a week. And they're still higher mm. than the five year average is yes. still up. And the NHS appears to be sort of girding its loins, if you like, getting ready for a load of claims coming in, which could range from anything from clinical negligence to um, just missed appointments to loved ones um, dying as a result of, of NHS kind of um, NHS's inability to treat them. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of open ended. This It could go on forever. It could. And indeed, it's uh, at a time when we are facing uh, crippling waiting lists. Uh, we're coming into winter, so we're seeing a surge in respiratory viruses, as we always do, including flu. Mm. We've got the nurses uh, going on strike. We've got other parts of, you know, hospital staff also threatening to strike. Um, it really needs to, you know, we've had five health secretaries 
and we need to actually look at the roots of some of these problems and get underneath them and and no one seems to be doing that no it seems a lot of firefighting and uh headline headline grabbing you know pots of money here and pots of money there but actually we need to get get the health service by the roots and actually look at new restructuring it and reforming yeah. it I mean, I know it seems a very long time ago now, but I, I seem to remember back in the dark uh, sort of history, historical past, uh, Rishi Sunak was chancellor and he was promising to raise uh, national insurance in order to cut down on the backlog. Everybody seems to have forgotten about that now. Well, I mean, interestingly, there's a recent report uh, for uh, from the, I think, the Institute of Fiscal Studies, which uh, has found that the putting more money into the NHS hasn't led to a reduction in backlog. So they're not, they're, they've got more money to treat, but then they're treating less people. Mm. So um, I'm not sure that just throwing money at this is actually going to help. The NHS is not functioning. Uh, I know there's been calls recently uh, from a number of people, a, a lot of um, consultants and people I speak to sort of can't speak out. Mm. There's a lot of censorship. But... Um, there are a number of people that do believe the NHS should go back to seven-day working. Yeah. Disease doesn't recognise the weekends or or, or bank holidays. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, it, it kind of stops the flow. Uh, if you get ill at the weekend, you know you're mm. probably about 11% more likely to die. And um, you're losing a lot of capacity by not working at weekends. So that's just one thing that could be done. But, of mm. course... Um, the doctors don't want to do that. Well, no, they don't. And we hear constantly that, uh, you know, it's all the Tories' fault, it's the government's fault. But I keep saying to people, yeah, but surely the people that run the NHS should bear some responsibility for how the NHS is run. And now we've got two strike days supposedly coming up in December, which are hardly, <coughs> hardly going to be helpful, are they? Well, no. I mean, I'm, you know, it's very worrying and worrying that we're going to, there are talks about drafting in the army. Mm to deal with um, emergencies. I mean, the army are trained in certain things, but not to do complex diagnostic work. So that's not really a solution. Um, and I think that it, it could be a good idea that the NHS does have more control mm. over how it runs itself. There are so many layers and there's so much top-down control. The government is trying to organise the NHS, always putting on new targets, mm. new rules and, and uh, restrictions and, you know, new new sort of aims. But actually, it could be argued that the NHS actually needs more independence mm. to work out how it needs to run itself. So, I mean, it's a complex area, but um, there are a number of things, you know, for, for one thing, the IT system, there have been successive governments which have tried to make that work and so that GPs, hospitals, pharmacies can all talk to each other, but it hasn't. And no one's really put in enough money to make that mm. run smoothly. Um, social care, you know, that's not joined to the NHS. The NHS is a golden goose, isn't it? Always gets more money. But uh, looking after people, which is a huge part of it, I think we've got something like 25% of beds up to that much are taken up by people who are fit to leave but have nowhere to go mm. um, because there's no care for them in the community. So it's it's complex, but just throwing bits of money in and money for compensation claims is really not going to 
cut it, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And I hear a lot of people, particularly community-based people, saying that, you know, the old cottage hospitals were a good idea. They were all kind of done away with. The local um, sort of aspect of NHS care has disappeared and an awful lot of people are having to go to big centralised hospitals and hubs and all of that. And maybe that was a mistake. Maybe they could go back to the, uh, you know, the more localised way of treating people. Well, I think you've got a really good point there. And in fact, as we come into winter, we're going to have a lot of older people, vulnerable people, that will need just a little bit of care while they get over flus and other sort of infections. They don't need the high-tech hospital beds that we've got. And I've got, you know, speaking to to various experts, um, it's estimated uh, we need about 150 sort of low-tech hospital beds to get us through the winter and that would be a good idea but as 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 we said earlier you know we've got five health secretaries over two years my line's cut oh well well we can still see you i know we can't uh, she's we've just lost her uh, oh, don't worry lucy thank I, you for, I, I, oh you're I, back there you go yeah sorry i'm not sure what happened there but anyway five secretaries in in two years um it's uh you know n- no one's really looking to to look at the roots mm. of this it's just the headline grabbing yeah no absolutely right listen lucy good to talk to you thank you very much indeed sorry about the missing line there for a couple of moments lucy johnson health and social affairs editor at the sunday express once again you know we talk about the nhs practically every week on this show sometimes practically every day uh, but we're now reaching a new level of crisis because not only is there a strike coming, not only are there supposedly not enough nurses or doctors, but now uh, the NHS is setting aside over £1 billion. It could be uh, 1.3, possibly £1.5 billion to pay people off who are going to sue them over negligence because of COVID restrictions and because of the fact that many of their loved ones actually lost their lives due to NHS policy. And as Lucy said, I was one of the people... Uh, who was saying that this would be a problem. I was one of the people warning about it right from the beginning. Laura Dodsworth is coming up after 11. She was another one. Uh, we've got this new data, by the way, uh, from the ONS, the Office for National Statistics. It's on ethnicity in Britain. A total of 81.7% of residents in England and Wales identified their ethnic group as white on the day of the 2021 census. That's down from 86% a decade earlier, according to the ONS. So, um, People identifying themselves as white have gone down to 81.7% of the population, according to uh, the 2021 census, down from 86% in 2011. 0344 499 1000. We'll take some calls coming up. We'll also talk about China, of course, as well. And much else besides. Mark Saggers is going to be here uh, to give us a preview of Wales v England tonight in the World Cup. The first time ever that two teams from the United Kingdom have actually met in a World Cup. Extraordinary. This is Talk TV. Talk radio. Exhalation. Conversation. Confrontation. It's not all bad news. It's Talk Radio. The home of common sense. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We've got a great text here from somebody who uh, doesn't give a name, unfortunately. Dear Fat Graham, I've been listening to you talk rubbish for three years now. That's pretty good. Um... Keep listening for another three years. You'll hear some more rubbish. Uh, your parents spell Y-O-U hyphen R-E. Uh, so as in you are parents. So not really very good there. Now need to claim back the money spent on your education as it was obviously wasted. Well, I had a state education. So I guess that means I can claim back some tax. Can I? Thanks for your thoughts. Keep listening. Um, you might learn something like how to spell your, for example. Let's talk to Chris, who's in Grimsby. Hello, Chris. Hello, Mike. How are you? Very well, right? sir. What can I do for you? Well, 
with regards Qatar, mm. this this country is not the arbiter of the world. Their laws are their laws, and it's nothing to do with us. Right. Same as Iraq and other places in the world where people have been trapped badly. Yeah. You can sympathise with them, but you can't stick your nose in and try telling them what to do. No, I agree with that. Imagine Americans visiting this country and they all bear in arms. Mm. We'd stop them at the border and say, sorry, you cannot bring goods into the country. Right. They turn around and say, well, that's what we do at home. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, sorry, sorry, it's our laws, and you've got to abide by them, the same as they have over in Qatar. Right, quite right, too. When in Rome and all that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And as regards the uh, migrants, mm. I think this country is giving good ideas to anybody that would want to invade us. Yes. Because all they've got to do is put their army into small dinghies and our border force will bring them ashore with the Kalashnikovs and all the rest of yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's a joke, isn't it? It is. It's one big joke. This country has really, really gone to the dogs. Yes, I'm afraid it has. And it's about time the government got their act together. Instead of talking rubbish, just get the border force, get the navy and stop them. It's yes. That. Well, that's supposed to be their job, isn't it? Listen, Chris, thank you very much for your call. The border force is called the border force. They're neither a force, and they don't seem to know what a border is. Apart from that, it works really well. Uh, brilliant. Uh, now, speaking of uh, things that work really well, Mark Saggers is back. Oh, Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, Welcome. Good, the yeah, World Cup morning. is back on. If you're looking out the window, uh, we'll try and cheer you up by showing you a picture of the Qatar skyline, where it looks <laughs> rather nice today. Um, sunny again uh, in Qatar. It must be nice, must it? You wake up every day, it's the oh, same weather. That? There's no clouds, obviously. No. But there is a dark cloud over England. Yeah, is there? There is a dark cloud outside, I must mm. say. Um, but let's kick things off. I can't believe, really, in a way, that it's the first time two nations from the United Kingdom have met in the World Cup. Seems extraordinary. Well, they haven't qualified for so long, well, yeah. anyway. The last time they qualified, Mark Hughes scored their winner. And, uh, and England and Scotland have been at World Cups together, but they've just never met, I suppose. No, um, I, oh, that's a good question. I'm not yeah. sure. I don't think they have, actually, I don't think they but, have. Um, so it is the first time ever. Not that that's going to make any difference to this game, because... Mm. Uh, Wales really are very poor, and England haven't done themselves justice mm. in that last game. That Friday night game was awful, oh, wasn't it? It was awful. I mean, I had sat through it because it felt like I should. I was watching it with my son, but I just sort of just had the urge to turn it off. I don't understand why we continually look for a defensive way out of mm. everything, or we somehow can't put two good games together. Uh, if we don't do it right tonight, mm. there is a still opportunity we could go out. I don't think it's going to happen because Iran it's unlikely. the United it? States aren't going to score six, seven goals or no. whatever. Uh, and we should easily beat uh, Wales. But I, I want to see Foden play tonight. Yes. I would also, I'm not into Kyle Walker playing. You don't need the quickest man who played for England who's recovering from an injury yeah. uh, on the right-hand side of the defence when he's only got Gareth Bale who can't m move faster than mm. you right. these days, basically, and Kiefer Moore, who's a, yeah. a solid man up A lot front. of people also questioning whether Bale should even play tonight, given the way he's actually, what his form is like. Well, the for, the, their form has not been good. It's been mm. very disappointing. Mm. But this will be a very different game. It'll be like one of those old, old home, home international is, yeah, championships and everything. So you can't take that for granted. Mm. It depends how Wales start, and it depends who they start with and whether they bring in one or two mm. of the other youngsters that they've got who uh, are not bad, actually. But I think it'll be Bale 
and Ramsey again. I'd play Daniel James, the Forest player, and I don't know whether Johnson's going to get a chance as well, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that. As far as England are concerned, Foden will p- possibly play. Mm. Um, if, if Gareth Southgate doesn't want him to play, though, don't play him. Yeah. Don't play him just because we're all shouting for right. him to play. He doesn't really do that, though, Southgate, does he? No. He's quite stubborn. He's no, quite he's, recalcitrant. He, he, he's say. quite stubborn. And I would like to see Alexander Arnold at the back mm. on the right. Flair player, gifted player going forward. Mm. You, we've now begun to see with the other sides, Brazil and Spain and... Uh, even in defeat Uruguay and Portugal and one or two others, that they, they're they going to play with flair as yes. we go into the knockout stage of the tournament. And we have to do that. But the sports minister's going to be there tonight, so all is well. Well, I mean, that's bound to be a jinx, isn't it? The old sports minister turning up. But what, what about this? I was in the Times today, from a talk sport interview, actually, yeah. that Hassan Al-Tawadi condemned Gary Lineker Right. And the BBC um, (laughs) for being very racist about Qatar. So poor old Gary Lineker, who's always banging the drum for anti-racism, this and that. He's actually now being accused of being racist against Qatar for having a go at them. It also turns out that he took (laughs) one point six million from BN Sport, which is Al Jazeera's state broadcaster. Incredible. Yes, it was over a four year period when uh, he went to work for them. Yeah. he just vacillates, doesn't he? Yeah, That's he all really he does. does. All the time. And, he, and, and he'll wriggle out one thing and then he's got himself involved in another. So when you know that sort of thing and you know that he has taken money like that in the past, yeah. what on earth is he doing with a monologue at the start of this well, exactly. World Cup to say how, how bad it is? He's actually also, I noted uh, on his uh, Twitter feed, uh, Barney Rone wrote a piece in The uh, Guardian about the World Cup of Woe. Right. And... Carrie Lineker agreed with it completely. Hmm. Well, it wasn't any. There wasn't any woe when he was getting paid millions no. of pounds. And to there isn't any woe for, for him now because he just keeps just, banking the money. You know, that's. Uh, you know. I don't object to people making a living. I don't. And I, but, neither but do I. But I, it's the double standards, yeah. the duplicity, mm. and everything, telling us what we should be doing yeah. while he's doing something yeah. completely right. different. And isn't it hilarious that the BBC? again, holding themselves up to be the great arbiters yep. of, of unbiased broadcasting, <laughs> yep. have now been accused by the Qataris of yeah. racism. Well, I mean, you know, I've worked for the BBC for a long time. There's always been biased broadcasting. Yeah, of course there has. I mean, that's uh, what it sounds for, isn't it? <laughs> right, the and biased also, broadcasting company. I want to go back to the sports minister, though, because he, of course, was another who said, he's an openly gay man, is uh, Stuart Andrew, but he said he was n- going out nowhere near this mm. tournament until he sat down with the Qatari ambassador right. and he and he said to him you know what are you going to do and everything and he allayed all his fears so he's turning up to watch yeah because alright I mean, okay he's alright he's going to wear his little one yeah, love arm that's all you're going to do is wear an armband now and so, so all the Qatari ambassador had to do was say don't worry about it Stuart you know do what you want. Come and enjoy our hospitality. Mm. Wear the armband if you want in the royal box, or whatever. But uh, don't worry, we're not uh, we're not going to do anything. We're we're, we're going to change everything. Of course, they're not. They're never going to change anything. But at the same time, it shows you cannot, whatever you think about those countries, change the way they do it mm. by going to that country. No, you have to stay away. No. But that's just protest. the virtue signaller's way of saying that that's what you do because it means they get to they get to keep well, the money. Government ministers, go, I thought we'd boycotted it. Well, no, I, no, I, no. Starmer said he wasn't going to go. Drakeford's apparently gone yeah. from Wales because yeah. I mean he would, wouldn't he? Because he's another hypocrite. Um, and then you've got um, I think it was James Cleverly who said that he was going to go. Oh. Um, so it's all been a bit woolly, you know. Yeah. Nobody really knows what's going on. Just go if you want to go, yeah. but don't tell us. Why we shouldn't go. Yeah, exactly. And don't tell us why we should watch it or not watch it. You know, it's called free will, for Mm. heaven's sake. We're going to go over to Jim White, who's over there later on today. Um, Any kind of um, any reason to be concerned about 
Um, any of the other teams, you know, going through? I mean, Ronaldo now through to the next round, of course. After he that tried, week. he tried to claim the goal last night. Yeah, I saw that. I, well, see people, it, it, I think Piers Morgan saying it touched his head. It yeah, be no, his. it didn't. It didn't touch his head right. whatsoever. There we are. That shows yeah. him again in his he makes, fine he makes light. John isn't it? Terry looks shy and retired. Yeah, that he? was a Fernandez goal, goal last night. They did well, Portugal. Yeah. Um, there are some good sides coming there through. Are. There's going to be hiccups along the way mm. because there are no really bad sides apart from the hosts. Yes. Qatar. Even Canada have gone out. Right. They're a good side. Mm. We've got to understand that if you're not at your best, particularly when you get to the knockout stage, we could be gone mm. if we're going through it. I'm saying we, I'm talking about England. Yes. I don't think Wales are going to get there. No. I think the United States will beat Iran. They'll be the two group, two sides that mm. go through from this group. But we've got an awful lot of work if we're mm. to carry on and, and do well. But, yeah. um, you know, Gary Lineker will be back there tonight telling us exactly what yeah. he thinks. I don't watch him at all. I put it on the other the other side. But, of course, you and I will be out at uh, uh, the West London oh, studios yes, we're with, uh, we're, because we're with Jeremy Carr live. We'll be talking to him later on. Uh, Mark's going to be out there keeping score. <laughs> and I'm going to be out there just arguing with people. Uh, this is Talk TV. <laughs> on DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Of course, Elon Musk and Apple seem to be in a bit of a war of words at the moment. Laura, very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. On mm. this very dark, it's dull day. out there, isn't it? Looks so bright in the studio for mm. people watching, but out there it is. Um... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It is very gloomy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks a bit like the end of the world would look. It does, doesn't it? it does. Let's just stand here nestled yeah, in the bright there studio is that, lights. There, there is that, yeah. I mean, it's a bit like we can be the sort of the sunflowers um, being held under artificial uh, conditions so that's that we, how, that's so that we look happy. That's how everyone thinks of us, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, um, but talking about uh, flowers and, and fruits, yes. Elon Musk has declared war mm. on Apple. Right. Which is um, a kind of, it's, it's his latest uh, 
episode in his entertaining saga yes. since he took over Twitter. It's a bit like sort of nerds fighting in the corner, isn't it? No, it's much more important than that. I'm going I'm to bring. I'm going to bring some gravitas right okay, in the beginning. I, I firmly believe that Twitter's algorithms are the black box where democracy and free speech go to die. Okay. Now, I think it is dangerous mm. to put all of our faith in one man. We talked about that last week. Yes. And, gosh, that really annoyed lots of people who think that they know what I should care about and talk yes. about. But I, I really think that... The mostly on Twitter, presumably. Mostly on Twitter. Yeah. But the decision to reinstate somebody shouldn't be based upon a poll. It should mm. be based upon clear rules. I stand by what I said. But let's rewind with what's happening with um, Apple. Now, mm. I'm an Apple girl. Mm. I've been using Apple for many years. Yes. Back when I was a photographer, they're simply the best machines to use. Mm. I love the iPhone. But I could be turned away from Apple if they continue down this track. Mm. Apple was always such an inspirational company. Do you remember Steve Jobs' famous quote? He said, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes. Mm. He was all for genius. He was all for the people that don't fit in because he knows that they're the entrepreneurs. They're the ones that drive things forward. Well, what a long way we've come from Mm. these Silicon Valley techno-optimists to a world of big tech oligarchs telling us what we may Mm. and may not read, what we may and may not say, going way beyond national legislation and into their own very partisan, ideological, political biases. So Apple have threatened to take Twitter off their their app, off their iStore. So you wouldn't be able to get a Twitter app if you had an Apple phone? Not on Apple, which is just incredible. Mm. Presumably, presumably because they feel threatened by Elon Musk's stated commitment to free speech. Right. He also claims that they have reduced their advertising on the platform, which of course is the other way to hit Twitter where it hurts. Well, there was a lot of advertisers who withdrew their advertising, wasn't there, at the time when he took over. There was a whole list because he published the list and he said that was why he needed to introduce a pay-for pay scheme for people with blue ticks because yeah. the money had to come from somewhere. And he said basically there was a whole host of people like Audi was one company, a mm. couple of other big European sort of multinationals. And we're look, just looking now onto Elon Musk's tweet. The now, public deserves to know what really happened. Now this is very exciting. So mm. this is beyond Apple, but it could be what's got Apple th- rattled. Right. So the idea that he should publish these files is fantastic. What were we talking about last week, Mike? We're always first. I said there should be a truth and reconciliation Mm. style release of all the dirty dossiers they've got on people who've been silenced and censored because that would mark a real commitment, a kind of a year zero Mm. in a commitment to free speech. They have an absolutely filthy past. Mm. I'll say it. We've got the Project Veritas um, insider scoops that show... um, Staff talking about the, part, the the very partisan censorship of people. You know, look at Donald Trump being mm. deplatformed and the suppression of the Hyde, Hyde, Hunter Biden laptop story. It's clearly yeah. very partisan. We've got their algorithms. We don't know how they work. We know that governments have a hotline into Twitter to say, take stuff down. I'm, I'm sure that I've been shadow banned in the past mm. and people say that they have unfollowed me without meaning to unfollow me. I think me. it's happened to all of us. They're guilty of all kinds of mm. dirty tricks. So showing us what's happened historically on that individual micro level would be incredible if people want to request it. But in a wider sense, you know, Twitter have worked with governments and other big companies and the public deserve to know. Mm. So he's got people rattled including Apple, who are trying to hurt him with revenue and reach. Now, his idea of a subscription model, I think, in principle, is a good one. So we know this. In the world of journalism, you get what you pay for. 
the reader, the consumer of news is paying one way or the other. They're paying on an individual price, a subscription, or from getting advertising, mm. sponsorship, or their data being sold. Yeah. Twitter's been making money through um, advertising and sponsorship and boosted posts, but also it has been rampant with bots and bot squads which mm. have been changing the narrative. Moving to a system where we pay a small amount individually to use the service could be a guarantee of the success and the freedom of the platform. It could well be. And do you think any of these bots have been operating kind of commercially as well? Like, could they be operating on behalf of commercial organisations because it's a kind of a backdoor way of advertising or something? I don't know. But I just, I mean, I don't think any of us really understand how Twitter works it's and exactly where everything fits in, if you know what I mean. It's a really new <coughs> medium. And the way mm. that Twitter's being exploited is the subject of a great deal of academic study and it's not properly understood. Mm. Now, we know that there are lots of bots. It's hard to get a fix on the number. No doubt Twitter could help with that if they wanted. But a conservative estimate is 9 to 15% of Twitter yeah. traffic is created by bots. That's not real people. No. There are different types of bots. Now, we know there are Kremlin bots. The UK government's done research on that. We know there's the Chinese five, uh, 50 cent army. 50 cent? 5 cent? Anyway, 50 cent Some army. Some kind of army. Some kind of army. So terracotta we, army, so I know we, about So that we know that there are thousands upon thousands of um, Chinese Twitter operatives mm. seeking to shape the online political narrative. Yeah. They did things like besiege um, US mayors to encourage them to lock down, pretending to be US citizens. Mm. They did it in Italy as well. They're doing it all over the place. I think, frankly, it would be really naive to think that even the UK, the US and other Western governments don't also do it. Mm. It was reported that... Um, the US military has had fake accounts taken down on Twitter and Facebook, also trying to shape the online narrative. They would call it trying to prevent counter-disinformation, but in itself it is a form of disinformation. Mm. I would be amazed if companies aren't using bot squads. Some companies aren't using bot squads to help push their products and also for things like reputational mm. management. Well, because you see these things all the time, don't you? Like literally kind of different ways of... Um, I was listening this morning to somebody talking about how they now track how you type, for example. Yeah. Uh, because that can lead to, um, you know, conclusions being drawn about how old you are, what sort of things you like to do. Mood. Mood, all of yeah. that. Yeah, it's I mean, sentiment it's, analysis. It's quite weird, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, you they, don't, know, they know everything about you. There's so much you. going on. This is why I always laugh when people go, I don't want an ID card, I don't want people tracking me. It's like, what do you think's happening now? What do you think is going on right now? But they're different. That, those are different. I don't think we should muddy the waters there. Now, if I go on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg will know an awful lot about me. I don't mm. have a personal account anymore. I don't like, I don't like the way Facebook mm. behaves. But he would know about me, you know, what my political interests are. He'd be able to make some assessments about my mood. Frankly, he'll even know what I do in the bedroom. Yeah. Research has shown that you can detect whether somebody's gay or straight from yeah. how they use Facebook. It knows everything about you. Mm. But having an ID card, which is linked to civil, societal, economic, legal functions in the world as managed by your government, is a totally different kettle of fish. Well, that depends on what he's doing with that information at Facebook, though. He could be giving it to the government, couldn't he? Well, we know, of course, that political parties have tried to use Facebook. They have used Facebook, Twitter and other social media platforms to influence the result of elections by encouraging people to vote one way or even to encourage them not to vote. We know that's happened. That's why I say Twitter is potentially a black box where freedom, uh, free speech and democracy go to die. Apple is just the tip of the iceberg. What we're seeing at the moment is some kind of insane immune response from left-wing wokerati types who are outraged mm. that Elon Musk wants to encourage the kind of free speech that they have been trying 
to silence for years. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got big tech oligarchs thrashing around like monsters flailing, trying mm. to stop this horrible um, desire for the people to the have free speech. Transparency, free God forbid. Yeah, why wouldn't you want that? And of course, we have online safety bills happening simultaneously yes. all around the world. They're being talked about right now in the US, Canada, New Zealand, mm. the EU, Ireland, the UK. It's happening everywhere. Big tech companies now wield power that is similar to nation states. Mm. And nation states are having to get to grips with that because the power now outflanks existing regulation. And also We're in borders. A new world. And also borders. And borders. Because, you know, you can ban people from doing something in a country, but you can't ban them from saying something on social media in a country mm. unless the social media company bans them from actually accessing the social media. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so, mm. for example, there's a good example of it when, um, um, what's his name, Mwamba, um, the Tottenham player, collapsed on the football pitch years ago. Um, and, you know, he was dead for sort of two minutes or something before he was revived. And there was some horrible racist abuse coming his way from the United States. And people were jumping on it quite rightly and saying, you know, you're a horrible person. Blah, blah, blah. The people in the States were going, well, it's not illegal to say what we're saying here. So you mm. can't do anything. The police aren't coming to my door because in America you can do anything you want and you can say anything you want. And that yeah. was the case at that time. And where, whereas if the person had been saying it in this country, it would have probably been against some kind of law and it would have been inciting racism or it would have been racism. But, but you can't ban that everywhere in the world, can you? No, but... It, and it, Musk doesn't now want to. But it's, he has said that local laws should be respected. Mm. And, of course, social media platforms can and should respect local legislation. But that's very different to what they've been doing, mm. which is um, imposing their own views of what is harmful but not illegal, what they don't like in terms of um, you know, partisan tweets and accounts. And think about how they handled misinformation mm. during COVID. So, for instance, the lab leak story was really squashed. Mm. If you look back at some of the fact-check articles, they are frankly embarrassing mm. how everyone was saying it, it's not that it can't be that right. when there was no available evidence one way or the other it's a wet market right. you know people pushing their own ideology they got that wrong i'm thinking of all the doctors as well that were deplatformed mm. for um for questioning raising, raising questions yeah. about the vaccine there's one dr tony hinton in this yeah. country he made like it was like a jokey tweet about how um you know pregnant women are encouraged not to go into saunas you mm. know some picture of a sauna but you know they can have uh, a new vaccine mm. now he didn't say the vaccine was dangerous or they shouldn't right. do it but just for joking right. just for asking a question he was taken off twitter that was the end of him. so it's been an there's been this incredibly harsh approach mm. to to dissent from and the youtube official narrative. is the same but we'll come back to yeah. that because we're just going to take a small break lord dodsworth is here we haven't talked about china yet we will apparently chinese bots have been swamping twitter with uh, uh, porn to hide news of the protest well it's not working i'm afraid so they need to get better uh, their sensors that's what i would suggest uh, chinese ambassador has been called into the foreign office as well that won't make a bit of difference but anyway we will continue with this after this on talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lord Dodsworth is here with us. We've been talking about Twitter and Elon Musk mm. and his free speech uh, crusade. I've got a great message here from Kevin O'Sullivan who's listening. Um, and of course, uh, he'll be back at the weekend. He says, I tweeted about the lockdowns being a mistake a couple of days ago. Twitter advised me not to post it. I put this to Elon Musk on Twitter and asked him why Twitter told me to suppress my opinion. All responses to my tweet are being immediately deleted. Musk's free speech mission has a way to go. Oh, it definitely has a way to go. I've tweeted about Twitter's algorithms and my tweets have been 
absolutely suppressed mm. because nobody can see them. Um, they have no engagement. You know, you can look at the Twitter analytics and no one's seen them. Like, oh, well, hello, I know I tweeted it. I know yeah. it's out there in the Twitter ether, but it's got some kind of moat around it yeah. so nobody can read it. Right. So, yeah, absolutely, there is still going and I've to, seen you tweet free speech suppression. A couple of things where you've gone, how is it that there's no responses to this? How is it that with the number of followers that you have and the number of responses you would normally get, that on one particular tweet you're getting nothing? And it's on algorithms. Yeah. It's on Twitter algorithms. Strange. So don't like you calling it out. But, you know... Let's just put all of our faith in the techno king to rescue us from the demons yes. of censorship. Mm. It's very dangerous to be relying on a techno king, but frankly, I would rather put my faith in one misfit who's taken over the company yes. than the woe karate management he's yeah. ousted. I say about t politicians the exact same thing. You know, People should not put their faith in one individual to rescue them from whatever it is they want rescuing from. Mm. You know, it isn't Boris Johnson. It wasn't Liz Truss. It won't be Rishi Sunak. You know, it won't be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. You know, don't have faith in other people. Just live your life and sort yourself out, is what I say. Yeah, I might have a book out about that next mm. year. We'll okay. talk later. Good. So, um, on to what social media companies can do. What they should do is protect young people mm. from harm. So, apparently, the legal but harmful um, part of the online safety bill is going to be dropped which is where um, content could be taken down. Social media companies are going to be encouraged to take content down if it was harmful, mm. but still legal, right. which is obviously a census charter. However, um, what is being pushed now is the idea that minors must be protected mm. online much better. So there are age limits for all of the social media platforms. The problem is that younger people, you know, people younger than 13 mm. have been going on and... The platforms have probably known about it. You could arguably say they've been encouraging it and they've been well aware of the harm that can be caused. Mm. Now, in the US, which is a lot more litigious, obviously, there are multiple lawsuits right now against Meta. Now, people might not agree with what these lawsuits are about, but they're, they're alleging that Meta has caused self-harm, attempted suicides and anorexia mm. in young girls. This kind of thing wouldn't fly here. Because but, you know, they've allowed certain posts to be made or certain pages to be set up, that kind of thing? The argument is that um, these girls younger than 13, although they shouldn't have been on their Facebook, didn't take appropriate steps to stop them, um, and that they have an understanding that the platforms have addictive and harmful qualities that they weren't suitably protecting right. the children from. Okay. That's as much as I know about it. But I think that, you know, anybody who's got youngsters, anybody who's got children knows that these platforms are harmful. Look, my sons in their early teens on both Snapchat and Instagram were approached in their direct messages by people trying to sell them drugs mm. and prostitutes and webcam girls. Right. So, you know, these, these platforms make a big song and dance about cracking down on the Hunter mm. Biden laptop story. Yeah, God yeah. forbid we'd get that sort of misinformation slash truth out mm. there. But teenagers have not been protected from the harms. And there was leaked um, research a couple of years ago that showed that Meta, so that's Facebook and Instagram, are well aware that their platforms cause body image anxiety mm. and mental health problems in young girls. Now, all of this is a really... It's a huge, almost impossible problem to tackle. You can have an age cutoff, that's great. But in a way, you can't ever really mitigate for this harm. The whole, you know, the idea of insecurity and showing off and jealousy mm. in a way is literally fundamental to what Instagram's all about. Yeah. You know, we don't have to share photos of what we're doing all the time. No. And when you do, you tend to share the good stuff and it makes other people mm. feel insecure. 
it's it's a platform which is very much about how you look, yeah. how you physically look, they, they and what your lifestyle looks like. just call it narcissism, Graham, shouldn't they? Well, we could call it that. I mean, there are also nice, fun social benefits. Look, I'm a proper social media addict. Yeah. It must be tackled. Maybe next year's New Year's resolution. But the problem is human psychology. It's not just the platforms. It's human psychology. You can't mitigate from these harms. You can't, you can't prevent insecurity. No. You can't prevent self-harm. No. You can't prevent young girls feeling bad about themselves. But those platforms, but I you think, can put perhaps those problems not on steroids. It. But you can, you can perhaps not encourage it, though. Yeah. I think they, they put the right. problems on steroids. Mm. Um, so I think that that is probably the answer. I think probably the answer is that there should be a, an age cutoff which is very strictly enforced with ID, with verification. Yes, which is usually the way that you would think that would solve it. But again, I mean, yeah. kids do have a way of getting around things. I mean, I'm the same. I've been various children who have been looking at stuff that they probably shouldn't have been looking at. Mm. But it's very hard to stop them from doing it. If, you, if yeah. they're part of that world, unless you go down the whole kind of, you know, uh, I'm going to raise my children as if they weren't actually living in Amish. this century. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's the only. I was going to say that. I was hesitating days. because I wasn't sure if I could say that. But oh, really, you know, you can Amish, rely on me. I can rely on you. you can yeah, rely on me there used to, to be say an it. Amish community down in Sussex. Actually, I'm not sure if they're still there. Where you just don't give them a phone and you don't give them access to a computer and you don't, you know. But it's ridiculous. I mean, that I fancy been... it these days. I'm thinking Amish should no, I, I, I mean, social media brings so many benefits, but it is so harmful. Look, we know from research that when your phone is in the room with mm. you not even using it it reduces your cognitive abilities True. we know it's addictive from the moment you know, like from the moment you wake up mm. you've probably checked your phone 20 times before breakfast yeah, but how realistic Ding! Would and it then be? you're on there for an hour yeah, but, slot machine yeah, effect on. you keep but going how through. realistic would it be though to do that to your children and then at some point in their life they suddenly discover this world that they have been so far you know pre- you know prevented from being a part of and how would that then affect them okay. that might be worse we don't say there should be gradations with mm. gambling casinos, alcohol, we don't go, well, you know, from the age of 13, we'll let you have one unit a day or we'll let you gamble £10 a day. We don't do that. Mm. We say if something's harmful, there's a cut-off point because when you're an adult, it is up to you to protect yourself from harms. And I think that's what a lot of people found really objectionable about the online safety Mm. bill. The idea that you and I need protection from dangerous political mm. ideas yes. or misinformation you know we've got brains we'll yeah. we'll 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 take a look at it mm. we'll take a view on it we'll look after ourselves yeah. if i'm addicted to twitter it's on me yeah. okay it's on me to manage my life it's not the same with children we just protect them from harms full stop okay. there has to be an age cut off 13 might not be enough i mean i think maybe a lot more child psychologists should be involved in this mm. and the that is one thing the social media companies should be held to account over. Yeah, I think so. Final thought, we only got about a minute. Uh, <gasps> the China um, uh, protests, interesting reaction in this country. Yeah, really interesting reaction. I'm really glad that people are horrified because it's genuinely horrific. Mm. What's kind of, what's unsurprising but disappointing is a real double standard that protests in different countries are yeah. held to. In this country, they were called conspiracy theorists, mm. anti-vaxxers. China, they're being positioned as freedom fighters. Now, on one hand, these uh, lockdowns have gone on for different periods of time. But if they haven't worked in China, where they've been locked down for, Mm. what, 100 days or something? If that didn't work, of course our lockdowns weren't going to work. And people that protested for their freedoms were utterly derided. Mm. 
They were, absolutely right. Fascinating stuff. Laura, good to see you again. Thank you very much indeed. Laura Dodsworth back, of course, next Tuesday. Uh, go and find her stuff on Twitter uh, if it hasn't been shadow banned. You know what I mean. Uh, 0344 We're going to talk about China coming up uh, because Gavin Mortimer is here uh, to talk to us as well from Paris with the latest from France on the migrants issue. And then Rob Clark from uh, Civitas. He's going to talk to us about China. And what is going on there? This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course. The sky is looking a, a tad brighter, but not very much. It's very dull out there. It's very nice in Qatar, of course, where the big game is on tonight, and you'll be able to listen to all of that uh, on Talk Sport. Uh, it's Wales against England. Also, Jeremy Carl live from Seven. Mark Saggers will be there. I'll be there. Uh, we'll be talking about a great many things, but we will also keep you updated on the football if that's what you need to know. Uh, Sean in Grimsby says this, Mike, as I sit here eating my bacon bun, the gent who runs the cafe has just mentioned that he had a break book to go to York this weekend. The only break he will have had all year, a true hardworking gent, has now been told his booking has been cancelled because his hotel has been taken over by migrants. This must stop. Um, well, I think that's the problem for an awful lot of people. They're discovering uh, that basically they cannot find a hotel anywhere in this country that has not in some way uh, been double booked or pre-booked for an awful lot of migrants. I've heard from people over the course of the last week uh, telling me that they went to a particular hotel, um, I'm not going to give the name of it, uh, where they thought it would normally not be one that was used for migrants, but they'd also booked migrants into that hotel as well, even though uh, they were still taking bookings from other members of the public who were paying good money, basically, uh, for a room. Absolutely extraordinary. Ed in Cornwall says, Mike, the Albanians weren't only giving the middle finger to the government, they were also giving the middle finger to the British public. This is, of course, um, a video that we showed you a little bit earlier today. We're going to speak to Gavin Mortimer now. Let's just have another look at what happened last night in central London. Uh, this is around Parliament Square last night, uh, an Albanian Independence Day being celebrated uh, by an awful lot of people who held up an awful lot of traffic uh, and made an awful lot of noise for hours on end. A lot of flags being waved, um, a lot of car horns being tooted, the police standing there uh, supposedly begging them to get off the streets. But I mean, this is not a scene that I think anybody has ever seen in this country before. People on Twitter are saying, oh yeah, but why shouldn't they celebrate their National Day? Well, it just seems a bit odd, doesn't it? There's people doing things in cars which would be mostly illegal, that would get you arrested if you were doing it in any other situation. What is going on? Let's talk to Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How are you doing? Gavin? Hello? Hi. Um, there's a bit of a delay on the line, I think, so I'll try not to confuse everybody too much. Um, extraordinary scenes last night in the centre of London. I don't know whether you've ever seen anything like this in Paris, but we've also got figures this morning that show uh, that asylum-seeking applications from Albania are accepted in this country to the tune of about 55%, whereas uh, in France it's only 2%. In most of Europe it's less than 5%. Only one or two other countries actually accept around about 10%. So there's an awful lot of Albanians coming here, uh, and obviously that's the reason, because they get accepted as asylum seekers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the UK's long been seen as a, a soft touch, and uh, so it's attractive for um, people, uh, asylum seekers and, and economic migrants, because they know they're going to be well looked after. They're going to be put up in hotels. And in France, that's not the case. In France, there's tented cities everywhere. There's just, uh, there's not the, uh, the, I suppose, the willingness to accommodate um, who are people who are essentially here illegally. Mm. 
No, that's absolutely right. But I mean, have you ever seen anything like that in Paris, you know, where you've got basically a group of nationals from another country celebrating their own Independence Day, waving flags um, and driving in some... I mean, I know people are saying, what difference does it make what cars are in? They're in some very expensive cars. Then there's a car there that's under 100,000 quid. Well, we're seeing this more and more, Mike, aren't we? Because just a couple of days ago, we saw in Belgium um, riots from uh, Moroccan fans after their... Uh, Morocco beat Belgium in the in the World Cup, yeah. um, and th- this has, has has made the the, the papers in France because France beat Tunisia um, quite soon uh, mm. tomorrow, I think. Um, and you know, France has has had problems before with uh, Algerian fans, and there's a very famous case. Think back 20 years ago when uh, France played Algeria at Stade de France, and uh, there was huge Algerian whistling of a French national anthem. So. President uh, Chirac, Jacques Chirac, who was at the time president, actually came down and stopped the game mm. uh, and said this is unacceptable and sent a very clear message. But nonetheless, it, it continues. And this is what happens. You know, this is the, 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 the side of multiculturalism that no one wants to talk about. Mm. Well, that's the thing. And, and, you know, the left, those who believe in sort of unbridled immigration, say, well, what's the problem? Do you have the same problem? I've been getting comments like, you know, well, what do you, what do you say about St. Patrick's Day? Well, I don't see people driving around in £100,000-plus Mercedes AMGs uh, waving Irish tricolours uh, in uh, sort of midnight in the middle of Westminster. No, absolutely not. And, and, you know, you don't get British people celebrating St. George's Day in France or anywhere else for that mm. matter. You, you, what, you just got to watch those images there of what happened in London last night. And it was... Uh, it was it was goading the 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 British public, yeah. if you like. It was this ostentatious display. Look at us. We are milking this system. We're here in our cars and there's nothing you can do about it. And frankly, there isn't anything we can do about it. it so it seems, Mike, at the moment, because yeah. the, um, they just keep coming. And we're not just here in our cars. We're here in our big Mercedes. We're here in our Porsche 4x4s. We're here in our Bentleys. I mean, these are, these are people with a lot of money. And what we do know uh, from the Home Office and what we do know as well from prison statistics is that Albania is by far and away the highest represented country in our prison population uh, outside of the UK itself. And we also know from anecdotal evidence that an awful lot of the drug gangs which are now running drugs in Britain are Albanian. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a piece about this with Spectator uh, a couple of weeks ago, just saying the uh, highlighting the influence for over 20 years of the Albanian mafia uh. Uh, and how it's just slowly spread west, Germany, Austria, Belgium, into France, and now it's it's in, it's into Britain, and this mm. is why the number of small boats has suddenly increased because the the Albanian mafia uh, five six years ago realised how easy it was and that no one was stopping them, and and with Theresa May's uh, slavery act. Uh, once you're here, you know, you're not going to be um, deported. Yeah. And, and so it's proved. And, you know, you, we see about the, the Suella Braverman has, has come up with this, this well, new initiative um, of uh, fast-tracking um, asylum seekers to safe countries. But if you actually read the text, Mike, which is in some of the newspapers today, you see that it's a rehash of a new Labour policy. Mm. And indeed it is. It's a policy that was introduced in 2002 by David Plunkett, um, who at the time was was growing concerned at how easy it was and, again, how attractive Britain was 
That was 20 years mm. ago. And here we are, Mike, still having the same conversations, only the problem has got 100 times worse. Yeah, it really has. We haven't got a lot of time, uh, Gavin, but let's talk about a piece you wrote in The Spectator as well about Qatar um, and how its wealth is kind of, you know, really pretty overpowering in terms of its cultural reach into Western Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got no problem, Mike, with Qatar saying, you know, this is an Islamic country, you respect our culture, so no alcohol. Fine, okay. But then the, the influence of Qatar using their vast wealth through organisations such as the Muslim Brotherhood in France, Belgium, in Holland in particular, and the French press, uh, to their credit, are, are very honest and very courageous in highlighting this. There's been numerous articles and books just saying how they how they um, promote campaigns uh, of, for the hijab mm. and other Islamic dress. Yeah. And that's not part of Western culture, just as alcohol isn't part of Islamic culture. Right. But, you know, respect is a mutual thing, but it's not as, from what we can see, Qatar wants us to respect their, mm. their culture while it disrespects Western culture. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it, that there's so many. I mean, we've got the BBC today uh, and Gary Lineker, St. Gary, uh, being accused of racism by the Qatari government uh, because of the yeah. way they've been covering the football, which has come as a bit of a shock to the BBC. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. I think some of it has been some of the coverage of, um, at, at Qatar. At, at, um, Qatar has been disrespectful. We, we, we're not taking into consideration their, their culture. We knew what we were getting into in 2010, Mike, mm. and it's too late now. And when, when Qatar held the World Athletics Championships, it wasn't this fuss. It's just now, and it's with virtual signalling. And, and France have, have taken an approach, as I said in this article, when in Rome, because the Romans, so mm. they're not virtual signalling the way that the Germans, the Danes, the English are. They accept that they're in an Islamic uh, culture, and that's the, the way things are. But you know, it would be nice if Qatar accepted that in the West, we have a different culture yes. too. Yes, I think that's a very good point. Gavin, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Gavin Mortimer, writer for The Spectator, uh, of course, with his take on the situation regarding the Albanian um, influx of asylum seekers and why Britain alone seems to be the one European country that actually takes more and more applications um, than everybody else put together. What's that all about? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The place to be, of course, for the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's the home of common sense. Uh, it's the home of free speech as well. We've been talking about a great many things this morning, uh, including China, including the Qatar World Cup, of course. We've got Wales taking on England. We've also got two or three other games of some interest. Ecuador, Senegal, uh, three. Netherlands, Qatar as well. And also Iran versus the USA, uh, which is picking up an awful lot of interest in America, as you can imagine. We're going to talk to Jim White very shortly. Talk Sport presenter who's live in Doha. He had a very interesting interview yesterday with Hassan Al Tawadi, uh, the head of Qatar's World Cup organisation, uh, who had a bit of a go at Gary Lineker and a bit of a go at the BBC in general. We'll play that clip for you uh, in a moment. But first of all, uh, we want to tell you what else is going on. Uh, I'm on with Jeremy Carl tonight uh, from seven o'clock when the football's on, of course. Um, but there's been plenty of other things to talk about as well because we're going to talk as well about the energy crisis in this country because it didn't actually happen today uh, that the national grid issued um, warnings to people not to use too much electricity they 
decided not to issue the warning in the end. But what they want to do is basically offer you money if you will use less electricity at peak times, which seems to me to be a rather odd thing to do. And as you look around the cities and towns of this country and all the Christmas decorations and all the Christmas lights that are going up, if we've got a shortage of electricity, how come their lights are all on? Just a question. But let's talk to Jim White, who's out there in Doha covering the World Cup, of course, uh, for Talk Sport. The one place where you can hear every single game, uh, every single moment of uh, the World Cup. You won't miss any of it. Jim, uh, a very, very good afternoon to you. Mike, how are you? Yeah, You're very well. Very well indeed. How's it all going? Are you keeping Mr. Jordan under control? Are you having to spend more time with him than you'd like to? Uh, let me tell you, Mike, when I have breakfast in the morning here, Simon Jordan goes and plays this thing called paddle tennis oh, yeah. uh, across the road, which is a, a strange kind of mixture, if you like, of uh, tennis and outdoor squash. <laughs> He's quite good at it. But I, I must tell you this, Mike, um, at the paddle tennis event this morning, none other, and I mean this, I'm being honest, than the Emir of Qatar was uh, present at the paddle tennis event and uh, spoke to Simon mm. and commended Simon as a terrific radio broadcaster. You are the man, he told him, we are led to believe, who, <laughs> who comes away with all the big words that none of us understand. Right. But the Emir of Qatar was hugely complimentary to your friend and mine, Simon Jordan, yeah. only this morning. Well, it's very good news that Simon Jordan's finally met somebody with more money than him. Uh, because obviously, uh, you know, he doesn't like that sort of thing. He likes to be the richest guy in the room, doesn't he? <laughs> he does indeed. He does indeed. Unlike Simon, the Emir has held on to his money, though. But uh, that's another matter. I didn't say that. No, Simon's having a blast out here. He's proving to be very popular yeah. with uh, a lot of people, not least uh, fans of England and Wales who are here in big numbers for this match tonight. Yes, we've just been speaking to Holly Hunter, who was out, um, uh, Holly Hudson, rather, who was out in uh, the Intercontinental with a load of Wales fans in very good, a very good uh, voice, as you would expect them to be. But let's talk a bit uh, about that great interview you had yesterday, Jim, uh, with Hassan Al-Tawadi, the head of Qatar's World Cup organisation. Have a look at this. Do you, understand this? Do you understand the strong feelings from some Hassan towards this tournament with these debates over human rights and, of course, the acceptance of the LGBT community, the BBC not showing the opening ceremony? You were livid about that. The likes of Roy Keane on ITV saying that the World Cup should never be here in the first place. When it comes to statements that come out, for example, from, from, you know, from Roy or from Gary or whoever else it is, there was no engagement. It's a statement that comes out based on no, you know, no engagement. No one pushed back I mean, on it. I mean, yeah. you know, the, Why was that? Did the they sad, not want the to engage part, with you? Well, uh, you know, just, just you know, the, the sad part, for, for example, for me, Gary Lineker, you know, as I was growing up, I, I looked up to him. You know, for me, when I was in Sheffield, I used to look at, you know, they think it's all, it's, it's all over. And for me, it was, it was a show that I used to love watching. I loved the banter. I loved the, you know, the sense of humor. I loved everything about it. Um, and so for me, it's very disappointing that, that Gary never bothered to engage. And I say it openly. He never bothered to engage. We reached out. We reached out many times. In February, we reached out over three or four times, specifically requesting to engage with Gary, to sit down and say, we understand your position. Give us the opportunity to put our case in front. At least hear, hear us out. If you don't agree then, that's fine. That's your decision, and that's your, and, and that's your judgment. But we never got the chance. There was never the desire to listen to our part of the story. Fascinating uh, interview, Jim, and a fascinating man. It's been quite confusing, I guess, for an awful lot of people. How, has it kind of settled down now a little bit? Has it, has it become more about the football? 
Yes, it has. And that's a good question, Mike. Uh, now that we're well into the second week, a lot of people are concentrating more on football. But I can tell you that interview that Simon and I pulled off with uh, Hassan Al-Thawadi has uh, gone viral out here. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, Hassan himself was uh, saddened by the fact, and even off camera, Mike, he was talking to us afterwards, seriously saddened by the fact that many um, individuals in the media had declined to uh, take part in an exchange of views before a ball was kicked out here. Mm. Um, they had reached out to, to many uh, media outlets and uh, he was saying that they were very disappointed uh, that not many came back, that the numbers that came back weren't the numbers that they predicted would come back to engage right. uh, about the tournament. And of course, only in July, I came out here and I interviewed Nasser, Nasser Al-Qatar, the chief executive of the tournament, who said, everybody's welcome. And we're delighted that you've taken the trouble to come out here so that we can tell you that everybody is welcome. And they're holding to that. They're trying their level best. They want this to be seen as the best World Cup ever. And they're convinced that it will be, Mike. But they want to hear their voice just as much as they're hearing all the other voices and all the other noise around this World Cup 2022. Absolutely right. I mean, interesting as well that uh, the Times has picked up on the story this morning as well, big spread on six and seven, uh, talking about how he says basically that he believes that, that Gary Lineker and the BBC's approach to the World Cup in Qatar has been a kind of borderline racist, the way that they've been doing it. And then there's another story this morning, Jim, about Gary Lineker, in which it says that after the World Cup bid was won by Qatar, he took 1.6 million quid from uh, BN Sport, which is the sporting arm of uh, Al Jazeera, the state broadcaster in Qatar. So it's a bit hypocritical of him, really, to be so critical, if you like, of Qatar. Well, that's right. I mean, and he was extremely sincere about how he felt, Mike. Um, he, he feels that he was telling us he grew up in England and, and he used to watch Lineker on television and, and that this was a figure that uh, Hassan Al-Thawadi himself used to look up to. Um, and still does, and still does. I think they do hope to, to engage with Gary before um, the tournament comes and goes. But certainly there was this massive air of disappointment on their part about this lack of engagement yeah. and this lack of willingness as he perceived it. And one thing I would say to you, Mike, both Simon and I were, were quite surprised by, by how strongly Hassan Al-Thawadi, who's a, a major figure regarding this tournament, how strongly he chose to articulate himself to us yesterday. Yes, exactly right. I mean, Gary Lineker tweeted yesterday that neither he nor his agent had any contact with anyone. But as you know, um, it's very possible that they reached out to somebody in the BBC or they didn't know how to, react or how to get Lineker directly. I mean, there's always ways uh, that you can um, perhaps reach out to people without them finding out that you ever did. Well, that's right. And you've been in this business long enough to know, Mike, there's two sides to every story, of course. But, the, you know, the, what frustrated them, uh, what Althawadi was, was persistent with yesterday, was we are just frustrated that they did not come back to us. Whether the they is Lineker and his people or the they is the BBC, well, that, that, that's a matter for conjecture. But it was this lack of desire to engage with them mm. that they found particularly sanding and particularly offensive. Yes, it's an incredible situation, really, and it's, uh, it's, it's shown up, I think, Qatar for, for perhaps not being as bad a place as people have been making it out to be, and perhaps some of the media coverage has not been as good as it ought to have been. Well, that's right. I mean, Mike, for all, all we can do is speak from our own experience here. 
Simon and I have been made to feel very welcome. Everywhere we've got, gone, the, door, uh, the doors are open. Uh, at the matches, last night I was at Portugal uh, 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 up against Uruguay with our produ producer, Luke Gregory, and he and I were sitting uh, in the stadium, very good seats, surrounded by Uruguayan fans, surrounded by Portuguese fans, surrounded by fans, Mike, I've got to tell you, from all around the globe. Mm. And one thing that's significant, I just want to make this clear, Mike, I think the fact that there is no alcohol on sale at the stadiums is such a good thing, mm. Mike. Yeah. It makes for such a great carnival atmosphere, a family atmosphere. There was a family of Uruguayans behind us last night, Mike, with an 18-month-old baby. And they were there loving the atmosphere. Yeah. And their nation lost. But it didn't seem to matter to them right. too much. They were too busy taking pictures of each other, pictures of the fans around them, pictures of the event. They could have reached out and touched Cristiano Ronaldo at one yeah. stage. We were that close to the pitch. It's marvellous, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I said I said this to somebody last week, you know, when the announcement came that there was going to be no alcohol sales in the stadium. Well, you can't get alcohol in a British stadium unless you happen to be in hospitality. So I don't know what the fuss was about, to be honest. And I'm like you. You know, I've, I've resisted taking my kids to football quite a lot because it's, there's still a kind of an edge to it. You know, there's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of men drinking and being quite drunk. And I don't see why you have to do that in order to watch football. Exactly. We, we were told about there'll be a huge um, Qatari police presence at the stadiums. There is a huge Qatari police presence at the stadiums, Mike. But we walked up, Luke and I walked up on a couple of occasions last night to the police to say, we're slightly confused, these tickets, where is this entrance? Whatever mm. the entrance was, they could not have been more helpful. And in fact, one of them escorted us to the entrance and his final parting shot was, have a great game. Whoever wins, have a great game. Mm. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's good. Um, let's get to the football then. Finally, tonight, England-Wales, uh, or is it Wales-England? Um, what do you reckon? <laughs> is it Wales-England? Um, I, I reckon the atmosphere will be terrific. Um, it's a kind of home nations match over here in another part of the world, mm. which makes it intriguing to say the least. It's largely thought that Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey for the Welsh are, with all due respect, getting to that stage. They could be described as somewhat... Uh, over the hill. We'll see. It comes down to whether or not they, they play from the start and whether or not they have big games. Uh, no disrespect to the nine other Welsh on the pitch, but it's it's a massive, massive ask for Wales. And you have to think England have the form players. England, Mike, should win. Of yes. course they should win. But you never know. You never know. And it should be a belter of a game, that's for yeah, sure. Absolutely brilliant. And, and it's all on Talk Sport, of course, as is every game. Brilliant to talk to you, Jim. Thank you very much indeed. We don't normally get to do this because we do shows at the same time. So what a pleasure uh, to talk to Jim White. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Ecuador, Senegal as well. Netherlands, Qatar and, of course, Iran, USA. But the big one, England, Wales, 7pm uh, tonight. I will be with Jeremy Kyle, as will Mark Saggers. We'll keep you updated throughout that show. But we'll have plenty else to talk about, of course, as well. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, more of your calls. Plus, I'll be asking you, if you're going to turn down the heat just because the national grids say they haven't got enough energy for everybody, well, I'm not. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 